All right, everybody. Man, thank you, Ben. Uh, so thankful for the way Ben Stevenson loves pastors, all of our children. Uh, somebody got to pray, like legitimately prayed in pen clicks during that. I could hear that little person just clicking, 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 clicking that brand new pen uh, the whole time. Um, man, love these kids. Thankful for them. Can't believe Caleb Jones is upright this morning. I was at somewhere last night where Caleb Jones was. He ate more candy than I've ever seen a human eat. Uh, a lot of sugar. Uh, so proud of that dude for making it this morning. How's everybody doing? Excited to worship with you today. If you will, grab your Bible, turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 is where we're going to be. As Paxton said, we're going to talk today and really lean into the vision very specifically what we believe God has called us to, that's our leadership, that's our eldership of this church, our pastors, our staff, what we believe God has called our church to, to do. And there's an actionable step there, but ultimately, even before that, it's, it's, it's really more about who we are, who God's called us to be. And we're going to talk about that this morning with 1 Corinthians 15 being the, the core text. We're going to look at some other texts as well, but this is going to be the core text, the anchor text for us to understand God's calling for our lives individually, but also corporately as the very people of God. And it really all centers around identity. And for me, in so many ways, this week is a, is a week of that's marked by identity. Um, as Brian said this morning, it's a new season. And in so many ways, in, in, in our world with young children, in a lot of ways, this kind of feels like the beginning of the year. I know January 1st is our calendar beginning of the year, right? But this is the time of the year where people are kind of getting back into the rhythm, back into the swing of things, right? God has blessed us with the most beautiful, glorious sport he created, American tackle football, right? This is coming back. And from now till February, we get to celebrate, we get to rejoice in that. But look, this is an incredible season, and here's one of the things that marks it for me the most, is this week, if you're anything like me, you saw pictures and probably posted pictures of children, children that are going back to school, right? So you saw all these pictures this week of your friends and their children, and they saw your children, and all of these people had this little chalkboard, right, with what grade they were going into, what age they are, who, who their teacher is, the thing that they love. I've even seen a couple of adults that had these, like folks that were like, hey, I'm going into 40th grade, right? But in this season, I get to see all these things, and it's one of the most fun times of the year to see that picture, that kind of side-by-side -side of, of this person that was this tall last year, that's now this tall this year, the change, the transformation, the growth, but more than anything... Those pictures offer more than a precious image. They really offer a picture of identity. Because when you hold that chalkboard or you bank that post or you put that comment there, you're ultimately stating who that person is. They're a second grader or they're a sophomore or they're a senior. All of those types of things. This doesn't only happen in school pictures. It happens in other pictures. Pictures that we post as, as mom or dad or husband or wife or friend or relative or co-worker. A competitor in a race. Someone who engages in a certain hobby. Something that we're a fan of. But even more than just pictures that we would post or take, this happens in person. This morning we had a welcome time, and there are those of us that sat around people or met someone that we didn't know. So what's the first thing we ask them? Hey, what's your name? Where are you from? 
Who are you? We're trying to get to the core of people's identity. And we do this thing, right? This is the classic. Like, what do you do? What's your, what's your job? In so many ways, we're asking people, what's their purpose? What's their identity? Moreover, we think about our own identity, who we are and who we long to be. We think about it when we buy and decorate homes. We think about it when we buy automobiles and cars, and we think about it when we pick out our clothes for each and every event that we go to, whether it's a dinner party, something fancy, whether we're going to the gym, whether we're going to work, whether we're going to school. I'm out number three to one, females to males in my house, so we do this multiple times a day. I know this is true. Truly. All of these things truly speak to our identity, but more than just a word, identity, that really gets to the core of this question. So much of our life is consumed by the question, who am I? Who am I? We even associate often latter days of kind of formative, beginning adult life with this idea of who we are, right? The adage that we're going to go to, go to college or we're going to step into a next phase of life or we're going to go on this journey to really truly figure out who we are. Who am I? And you've heard it said in life that there's two certainties. There's death and taxes, right? But I, I have no reservation in unequivocally stating that alongside those two things is this, this obsession, this desire to discern, to understand who we are and who we long to be. And this is a bold statement, but I truly believe we're going to look to the scriptures this morning and only by God's grace through the power of his spirit are we going to be able to see what our identity is, who we really are. Are and who we long to be, and that's gospel people. This is 1 Corinthians chapter 15, beginning in verse 1. 1 Corinthians 15, we're going to read through verse 5. Hear these words. Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved. If you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve. The word of the Lord to which we say together, thanks be to God. In these verses, we directly encounter identity. Who we are and who we long to be and every bit of it, it's all wrapped up in, it's centered in, it's centered upon, it's preeminent focus is the gospel of Jesus Christ. This passage is about the gospel and this is a word that you're going to hear every week. Like it's a joke to some folks, there's people with gospel tallies. Right here, here at Double Oak, this is every single week we preach the gospel. We describe the gospel. We talk about what it means to believe in the gospel. We talk about what it means to live in the reality, the implications of the gospel in our life, in the here and now, in our relationship with others. We talk about living out the gospel. Even Ben described it this morning, talking about these children, an opportunity for us to live out the gospel before them, to live in the reality of the gospel with them. We say this over and over and over again. What does it mean? What is the gospel? This morning as we look into this passage, we're going to see 
the scriptures clearly articulate what the gospel is, and it's this. It is the good news of Jesus' life, his death, his burial, his resurrection. This is the gospel, the good news of Jesus' life, death, burial, and resurrection. All about what he has done, the very person and work of Jesus Christ. There's a famous guy, his name is Karl Barth, and he writes this letter to his friend over 100 years ago. And he talks about reading the book of 1 Corinthians, and he said, yesterday I sat and I read... 1 Corinthians, and I got to chapter 15, and I stopped dead in my tracks. A dead stop in the earliest stages, because this chapter is the key to everything, to the entire letter. There are profound disclosures. Their source is in ultimate wisdom. This is a helpful articulation of the power of what is at play here, what's working in this scripture, as Paul writes, carried along by the Spirit to tell the church at Corinth, and ultimately to tell you and I, what the gospel truly is. Look at how he starts. He says, I would remind you. Now, I want you to think about when we remind someone of something. Anybody get reminded of stuff frequently? Emails, text messages, calendar updates, that kind of stuff. I also get reminded to take out the trash a lot. That's like my reminder. And I also get reminded that I didn't do the dishes like I said I was going to do. A lot, right? We get reminded of things all the time. There's an understanding if we're reminded of something that we already possess a knowledge of it, that we know. But the unique thing about what Paul's doing here, specifically if we look back into the Greek, he's saying truly the word for remind here is now, brothers, I make known to you. So he's using language that in a certain way does more than assume that they know and understand. He reminds them of what they've already accepted, but in doing so, he infuses it with new meaning. He's saying, take a fresh look at this. Be awakened to this. See again the thing that you already know, but that you can know more. You can know more clearly. You can know more intently. You can know more beautifully. What is he making known? He's making known this. Now, I'll remind you, brothers, of what? Of the gospel the gospel, that's a word that you and I have heard for ages. Two words, you and Agelion, compound, it's two words put together that means good news or good announcement. In verses 3 to 5, we're going to see exactly what that good news is and what it means for us, for our identity, who we are as a result of it. But in the beginning, Paul explains the very power of the gospel from the beginning, he describes it in this way. He says, this gospel, he preached to these believers. They received it. And the gospel is that thing in which they stand. And by which they are being saved. They hold fast to the word. So there's three elements that are happening here that are very important for us to see if we're going to have a true understanding of the reality of the gospel and it's this that the gospel is past the gospel is present and the gospel is future past 
present, and future. And so for so many of us, we would say that we received, that we have heard the gospel, or we have accepted the gospel, we have believed in the gospel, and we relegate it, we put it only to this past moment, that this thing happened in the past. Now, the reality is, to trust in Christ is to have believed the gospel at a point in time. So Paul acknowledges this, and he says that gospel that he preached, these believers, they received it. It's really, really, really important to note here as well that this is not something that they went and got. This is not something that they took possession of. Instead, it's something that happened and they received the gospel that comes to them. This happened at a moment in the past. So the gospel is experienced in the past. Then he says this, this gospel is by which you are being saved and in which you stand. In which you stand. So the gospel has present realities for the Christian life. This is not something that believers accept at a moment in the past and then they grow beyond. We did the gospel, that was the beginning, that was the first thing I believed the gospel, and now I'm on to like the other stuff. Like, you know, the building block stuff, the thing that, that grow, go beyond that, above that. There is no such thing. We do not grow or go beyond the gospel of Jesus Christ. It is not something that happened as a moment in the past. It is our present reality. It informs everything that we are in this present moment. Paul is clear to say that people don't just become a Christian at some point in time, that they are a Christian in this moment, and they are becoming, being transformed into Christ in this moment. This is also future there are implications of this idea that, one, that ones are being saved. This is happening now and will continue. Because the gospel has future. We were justified in our belief in Christ, saved by grace through faith, trusting in the righteousness of Jesus at a point in the past. We were being sanctified, we were being transformed even now into the very image of God, to, to coming into a place where we're coming more and more like Christ. And there will be a moment in the future where we are glorified, where we are with Christ. We don't see dimly, but face to face. In other words, the gospel defines for those who believe in Jesus, not only in the past, not only in the present, but in the future, the gospel is the all-encompassing identity of the Christian. This is it. It was not for a moment in time. It is for every moment in time. For every single moment in time. And Paul describes them. He delivers to them. He, he tells them how important it is for them to understand this. Look in to verse 3 and see what he says. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received. Now, when you and I read things like first, it is very natural for us to think that first is one of many. That first is like the beginning, and then second's right behind it. That it's the top of a list, but it is with a list of other things nonetheless. But it's really, crucially important for us to understand that what Paul is describing here is of first importance. That's a component of it, but there's more. There's more than that. And this is what first importance means. This word, as he draws near to the close of this letter, we find him saying this thing. Remember all I've said, but that this is not just the first thing. It's the main thing. It's everything. 
Because the word here for first importance is foremost. Foremost. It's eternal language that Paul is using. It's really pre-existent language. Not just at the top of a list of things, but the beginning of all things. The things through which all things have come. So in so many ways, Paul is connecting the understanding of the gospel being of first importance with who the gospel is concerning. Like he would describe in Romans 1, that the gospel concerns Jesus. So he's using this language of foremost, and he's saying this, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And there was not a thing that was made outside of him. In him was life. He's using John's words in so many ways here. In his own words, in Colossians 1, he would say this, that that Jesus is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. By him, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, thrones, dominions, rulers, authorities, all things created through him and for him. He's before all things, in him all things hold together. He's the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead that in everything he might be preeminent this is not merely unimportant thing slightly above a bunch of other important things paul describes the gospel the good news of jesus christ of what he has done as absolutely everything this identity shaking transformative reality for christians and look at the foremost thing clearly stated this is it Plain as day, this is the very gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures in verse 3. In verse 4, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve. Now that Cephas there is Peter, and then we go on, you go on to read that passage in 1 Corinthians, you're going to see that he appeared to 500 other people. To James, and then ultimately to Paul, the apostle himself. But Paul is stating this very clearly, that Jesus died, that he was buried, he was truly buried, and that he was resurrected. And that these events, they took place in accordance with the scriptures. Now, what does that mean? What does it mean in accordance with the scriptures? Well, last week... As we move from a series in Jonah and walking into this season, Clay did an incredible job of helping shape and help us understand that all of the scriptures point to Jesus. Look to Luke 24. Go to that passage in the road to Emmaus. You see Jesus opened the scroll before people would say, look, don't you understand? These things are about me. All of the scriptures, everything points to me. So in accordance with the scriptures, even as Paul is describing that Jesus was crucified for our sins. He's thinking of, in so many ways, it's likely he's thinking of Psalm 22. Jesus cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That is not the first place it's uttered in scripture. It's uttered in Psalm 22. Go back and see this pointing forward to Jesus. He's thinking of suffering servant passages like in Isaiah 53. Countless other pictures from the Old Testament that point to Jesus that reveal his coming. Jesus, as as, as Clay illustrated through the video last week, Jesus, the better Adam, the better Abraham, the better Moses, the better Jonah. 
the fulfillment of all things, everything pointing, all the scriptures concerning Jesus Christ. And then this is the gospel, the good news, the the perfect, incredible work of God, the good news of Jesus' life, his death, his burial, and his resurrection. That is the gospel. And in one sense, these are historical statements. They really are wrapped up in events that took place. This is why Paul is concerned to write and say that he appeared to Peter. That he appeared to the twelve. That he appeared to these 500 other brothers and sisters that saw him. To James and then ultimately to Paul himself in the road to Damascus, right? So what do these events have to do with you and me? What do they have to do with us? Look back to the previous verses and you can see the implications of the gospel. This is what Paul longed for his hearers to do. To understand that we stand in it. What do we sing this morning as our firm foundation? Christ is my firm foundation. This language that we sing is true. It's reflecting the scriptures. Christ is who we stand in. It's his righteousness alone that we have been saved. We are being saved. We will be saved. Past, present, and future. This gospel is all-encompassing. It concerns everything about you at every time and every place. Because here's the reality. We basically live our whole lives looking for meaning, truly for identity, to figure out who we are. And we're posting pictures and trying to tell the world who we are, and the ironic thing is as we're doing that, we're trying to hope that that's who we are or create this thing that we might be. We're trying to fashion it ourselves in so many ways. But here's what the gospel does. The good news of what Jesus has done in his life, in his death, in his burial, in his resurrection, it redefines us. It redefines us because this is the news that is so good. That through Jesus' life, his death, his burial, and his resurrection, when we repent and we believe the gospel, we are reconciled to God. Jesus reconciles us to God the Father through his life, through his death on the cross for our sins, through his resurrection by the very power of the Spirit that now indwells us, through his life, his death, and his resurrection. The gospel, as Romans would say, is the power of salvation. And it gives us this identity that we long for. So instead of pursuing identity and crafting identity and trying to find identity or make an identity to fashion one for ourselves, here is the wildest thing about the good news of the gospel. God gives us his own. He gives us his identity. That's what happens when we believe in the gospel. When we follow Jesus' command in Mark chapter 1 to repent and believe the gospel, to repent And turn from our sin, to turn from ourselves, to trust in the God who has made us, who has given us identity in him, to believe in what Jesus has done. We have a new identity. So what does that that look like? This is what it looks like. This is 2 Corinthians 5. If anyone is in Christ, he's what? A new creation. The old has gone. The new has come. God has truly reconciled us us to himself, as Colossians say in that that passage that we read from earlier, chapter 1, truly 
Jesus brings us to God the Father, makes peace through the blood of his cross. It's the very work of Jesus that gives us identity. And you might say at this point even, hey, look, I I know that Jesus has done all of these things. I can maybe I can assent to these things being historically true, but what does that mean for me? Well, if you trusted in Jesus Christ, if you believed in Jesus Christ, your identity is truly wrapped up in him. There is no way that he is just a thing in a list or a part of the identity of your life. He is the identity. This is how powerful it is. Paul would show us in Colossians, he would say this, for you have died and your Life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. This is the word of the Lord in which we say, thanks be to God. And thanks be to God because this is what this means. That all of my life is not tangentially connected to, not near, not kind of close, but my whole life, all of life is in Jesus Christ. This is the defining marker of who you are. Everybody ever read the, the Dr. Seuss, the happy birthday book? Right? You know how it ends with that phrase? It's like, today is your day, uh, that is truer than true, right? Uh, um, no one today is what? You are than you, right? And look, good guy, funny stuff, crazy, zany words, right? But, and he doesn't, listen, in Dr. Seuss's credit, he, he wasn't trying to write a theological treatise here. But ultimately, Scripture would like to have a word. Because the you is you is not the you you create. The you is you is you created in the image of God, reconciled to God and in Christ. That's who you are. That's reality. That is your identity. Your life is hidden in him. Paul would say this in Galatians 2. What would he say in verse 20? This is who he is. You want to know who Paul is? You want to ask him, who are you? You know what Paul's going to tell you? He's not going to say, hey, you know, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm Hebrew by by birth, you know, I've got a lot of relationships and background with family, and this is kind of what that looks like, and then this is kind of what I do now. You know what Paul would say? He's not going to tell you where he loves to eat, the region from which he exists, what he's been doing lately. This is, I really believe this is what he would say. I've been crucified with Christ. I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body, I live by faith faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. It takes, it's a bold statement to say, I no longer live. This is what Paul is saying, the identity, the life of the believer is. You're not a second grader or a sophomore or an employee or a, or a, or a husband or a wife or a friend or a coworker. Yes, of course you're those things in this world. Of course you are. But that is not truer than the fact that your life has been crucified. When Jesus died, the old you died. Jesus raised, your life comes through that. That's who you are. 
And here is the reality. We struggle to believe that. We struggle to believe that. We wake up into a world that is upon us, telling us who to be, what to do, what to wear, where to go, what life to the fullest really looks like, rather than believing the fullness of life that has come in Jesus Christ. We need to center, we need to focus our identity on what it really, really is. What Jesus has done for us, who Jesus says we are. There's Paul would write in Philippians that Christ has made us his own. Now, I'll be honest with you. You're going to be, you're going to stick out at the party when somebody asks you, like, who are you? And you say, Christ has made me his own. Right? And I'm not telling you to be that aggressive and go there yet. I'm really not. But you need to know that that's reality. That this is what defines you. That this is who you are. So in light of these truths, this is the vision for our church. The vision we truly believe that God has given us and our leadership and our elders, pastors, and staff. As the scriptures speak to us personally, but also corporately. This is the longing. This is the desire. Look, this is a reality. We're a local body of believers. And the distinctive, the things that we believe God has called us to is this. That we would be gospel people. That we would be gospel people. That this is who we would be. That the person and work of Jesus, that Jesus' life, his death, his burial, his resurrection, his effectual salvation that has come through the cross and the resurrection by the power of the Spirit, reconciling us to God. Jesus atoning for our sins. Us repenting and trusting, continually believing in the gospel, living in its reality, living it out to the world, putting God's love on display for others. This is who we are. And this is who we long to be. And I want to be as articulate and clear as I, as I can. This is language that you will continually hear over and over and over, time and time again. It's going to be language with which we can almost say to one another, I want to remind you, brother. The thing that's of first importance, who you are, not because of what you've made yourself to be, but because of what Christ has done for you and in you, through you, to the praise of his glory. That our identity is wrapped up in, not that we have the best stuff or the best building or the best kids program or the best preschool program or the best music. We do have the best of those things, all right? But that we'd be marked as a church, not only in this place on Sundays, but everywhere we go and exist in this community, throughout our world, as people to whom the gospel means everything. What Jesus has done is everything. What Jesus has done defines us. It describes who we are and who we long to be. So brothers and sisters, in a new season, 
truly. As we walk into, in so many ways, the, the beginning of a new year, I know, it's, I know it's August, and it's only summer for like four more months or whatever, but we're in a new season, right? And we believe this division, and we've talked about this time and time again, week after week, that God has given us, that we would be centered on the gospel. That we would preach Christ crucified. Not us getting better. Not good works. Not glorying in the things that we've done. Instead, preaching the gospel to one another. This is your hope. This is my hope. That when I was a sinner, Christ died for me. We don't get beyond that. We don't go past this. This is everything. And if we are the people that God calls us to be, then we'll, we'll put everything, our identity, into what Jesus has done for us. Reconciling us to God the Father through the power of the Spirit. This is what happens. This is the good news of his life, his death, his burial, and his resurrection. So we want to be characterized by that, not only individually, not only in our families, but together as the very family of God that we are. So I'd love for us this morning to just take an opportunity to, to process the age-old message, the good news of what Jesus has done. For our worship team to come, and as they come and we begin to enter a time of response that, that we would think on the gospel. And so ultimately, there are two real implications of this. One, so many of you in this place, you have trusted in Jesus Christ. This is your identity. Your life is hidden with Christ in God. The life you live in your body, you no longer, it's by faith in the Son of God. All that you are is wrapped up in grace working through faith. So what's the challenge this morning? What's the takeaway? What's the thing that God is calling you to do, both individually and corporately? It's to believe in, to trust in, to rest in the gospel as your identity. That you are what Christ has done for you. Truly. And if you're in this place and you have not trusted Christ, perhaps you're hearing these things for the first time. You're hearing these things in a fresh way. You're hearing these things. God's Spirit is doing something inside you according to His Scriptures. There's something that's going on. I would invite you to do this, to recognize your sin, your brokenness. I don't have to tell you that you are that. It is so likely that, that God has set eternity in your heart. You understand, you know that there's a rift between you and God. There's brokenness that you have not trusted him. And this would be my urge, my plea, my appeal to you. Believe in the gospel. While you were a sinner, Christ died for you. Took on your sin, your brokenness, your guilt, your shame, all of these things in order that you might repent and be reconciled to God. So my urge to you would be to believe the gospel. So here's what we're going to do this morning. We're going to sing and we're going to celebrate and we're going to describe through this song just beautifully, incredibly, and be led to yet again a picture of what Christ has done. It's not through us, but what Christ has done in us. There's freedom here. Think about the freedom that we have. 
What, what, what am I going to be? What does the world want me to be? I am what God says I am. I'm free. I'm saved. I'm redeemed. The righteousness that I have is not something I fashioned, I made of my own, but it's Christ in me, me and him. This is to be celebrated. So let's stand and sing and worship. And you need to know that after our service today, as our service concludes, if God is working in your heart, if you want to come forward, if you want to talk, you want to pray, uh, myself, other pastors, elders, spouses will be up here to receive you uh, immediately concluding the service today. So let's stand and let's respond and sing to what Jesus has done for us. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father. God, may the gospel be precious to us. May we glory in, may we boast in no other thing save for the life, death, burial, and resurrection of your son Jesus in order that we might believe and be reconciled to you. Heavenly Father, who we are is not because of what we've done. By your incredible grace, it is only because of what you've done through your Son and the power of your Spirit that has made us who we are. If we've trusted, repented, Father, believed in the gospel, that means that we are yours. So let us sing, let us respond in joy, Father. Work in the hearts of your people now to allow us to glorify you for your precious gospel. And Father, we ask this, that you would make us gospel people. It's in your son Jesus' name we pray. Amen.